2: College Football Nerds here talking Florida and Tennessee. Josh is back from vacation, so no more solo mission for Daniel. I did do a solo live show if you want to check it out, but we're talking SEC football in this one, and Josh, let's just dive into it. We're going to have a quick conversation. Um, you know, we were talking about this game and sort of, you know, who they've played and what they've looked like so far, and, and we're going to get into some of that, but just Off the jump, when we're talking about these two teams, isn't it kind of hard to really gauge either one of them considering Tennessee's not really played anyone, and they're going to say, wait, 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 Pitt, but Pitt's not great this year, in my opinion, and Slovis went down you know, for half that game he didn't play. And on the flip side, Florida's played a couple of good teams, though we've got our skepticism about Utah and Kentucky, and then... Not a great team in South Florida, but Florida's definitely played more competition. Does that make it kind of hard to judge this game? It, it does. It's three weeks of data, right? We we don't run our computer model
1: until at least this point in the season. Even now, we'll get into the model later. Uh, slight spoiler: it's weird, and that's sort of the reality that we're having to deal with, and that's why we're trying to bring in this issue up as early as possible. I do think Florida's played better competition. I think Utah and Kentucky were obviously more complete teams, but even there, there's a lot of hype around Will Levis, but I think Kentucky is limited offensively in a lot of ways. I think Utah is somewhat limited offensively. They don't have a lot of balance and explosion, at least not the same way Tennessee does. And on the other side, when you look at Tennessee, I don't know that they have really played anyone that's as complete as Florida in a lot of other ways. I, I think Pitt defensively is really good. But I think offensively, again, very limited. And even defensively, their jury's still out on exactly where they're at. I mean, their fronts expected to still be pretty good this year. But uh, yeah, I, I, the rest of it, I don't think we really know. So it, it is difficult to pick these games. It's really hard to evaluate. I, I try to go back and look look at these teams as much as I could, and you know, I, you know, watching the games live and going back and doing it you on know, a rewatch. I still have a hard time trying to figure out where I feel like these two teams are. And I think that's just really indicative of where we're at in the season and the reality of how difficult it really is to judge ranked teams, especially when you have ranked teams going into, you know, a a big ranked matchup in conference play.
2: Yeah. And, you know, one thing worth noting in looking at that South Florida game, they couldn't throw the ball. Uh, Bohannon was terrible. I think like four something yards per attempt, um, but they did run the ball really well, um, both from the quarterback position and, you know, straight standard running back yards. Um, Tennessee didn't run it well in their one, you know, opponent with a pulse. Um, but obviously we know Tennessee's going to play a lot of plays. We know they're going to throw the ball a lot. And I'm if, if I'm a Florida fan, I'm a little concerned on two fronts. One, they haven't seen a good passing attack this year. Utah's not a great passing team. They kind of manufacture yards, manufacture drives a lot from, you know, quarterback, escape and contain, being tough, getting three, four yards of play. They haven't faced a real passing attack. Um, and they're about to face a team that runs a buttload of plays, Josh. And I like Florida's starting defense But I've got some concerns about their reserves and their depth. Is this a situation where, like, if you're going to pick Tennessee to win this game, might it be pretty close mid-third quarter and that depth kind of kick in, sort of like we saw LSU-Mississippi State last weekend?
1: I think it's certainly an argument. I mean, Josh Hoiple's system is really challenging for teams that have limited depth. They do run a tremendous number of plays. It messes a lot of times with the way people look at them statistically because it affects total yardage. But, I think it really is a big challenge for teams that don't have a ton of depth. And Florida's problem is that they're still dealing with the recruiting that McIlwain and Dan Mullen loved them. Uh, you know, our years and years ago, our constant complaint when people would bring up Dan Mullen as the coach they'd want to hire was always, look, he's." I think he'd never been better than sixth in the SEC West, something like that, in recruiting Like, the guy had never recruited well, even when he had a good season. And and the same thing carried true at Florida. He did not recruit well, did not leave the cupboard with a lot of talent, and then obviously McIlwain didn't either. That still has a major effect on Florida's depth chart. And the funny thing on Tennessee's side is they had a lot of problems. They inherited a bit of a mess from Pruitt, but they did actually recruit pretty well. And they did, I think, across the board, recruit at a pretty good clip. So the, you know, if you think about the, way these two teams sort of panned out over the past five years i don't think it's indicative of where the talent and depth is between them i think tennessee actually has a lot of edges in the depth department i'm with you i like florida starters but in kind of strangely given the success of the last few years i actually think i like tennessee's depth better and that plays into their hands given the style of play that they want to you know they want to roll out on saturday
2: yeah. And, and speaking of depth, we don't know for sure. Y'all let us know in the comments. I, I don't think that Cedric Tillman is, um, we don't know if he's going to play or not. Uh, he said he was fine after he got hurt Saturday. They had a couple other injuries Saturday that, that Josh, you know, they didn't need him. It was Akron. Um, name your score kind of situation. So it's probably that we're going to see these players come back. Um I don't know if uh, Nate Pierce made an announcement on Miller who didn't play against South Florida. They actually had a few guys out. And, and that also might kind of make us overplay the closeness of that South Florida game because they did have a lot of guys out and it was on the heels of two really tough games. So I think for a lot of people that are completely writing off Florida in this game, They need to understand that they're already thin. They got guys hurt. They're playing a team who is playing their Super Bowl. South Florida players would love to beat Florida. And they're the only team in the country that opened with two really good opponents. I guess the only team in the country that's not going out taking paycheck games. So for me, that that one, I think, is going to throw the numbers off. And this is where I segue into the model. But two, I think that people who think that Florida has no chance in this game just because of maybe rankings or what they saw against South Florida need to realize that Florida was probably out of gas at that point and they need to recover a little bit and they could go into Tennessee. So why don't you give us the model, give the caveat of like, I'm going to give the caveat. It's it's week four, first week of the model. It's going to be wonky, but Josh, pull back the curtain. Let us see what you got.
1: Sure. So as you said, it's week four. The model is going to be wonky. There's a reason we don't like to run this model anytime earlier than we have to and yeah so as a presser first model of the season our model takes only this season's in-game data and what it does is it looks at your team and creates a profile it looks the other team creates a profile it looks at the matchups between the two teams and based off your team and your profile it has uh, essentially a scoring model that's unique to your team and it looks at the matchups to sort of figure out how this game is going to go from like a yardage production standpoint. And then based off that scoring model, it tries to predict how your team's going to score in that given game. Uh, The problem with it is we only use current in-game regular season data. So this early in the year, it it is really wonky, and we want to preface that we know the strengths and weaknesses of it. It is what it is. There's reasons we do it this way. Um, But in this one, I think it's interesting because it has Tennessee, Tennessee big. Is Tennessee 49, Florida 21, and how does it arrive at that? Well, the first thing to note is that Florida's defensive statistics in our modeling system are not very good. Uh, and when I say that, I mean they're allowing 114% of opponent rushing averages and 91% of opponent passing averages. So usually 90% is about average for a P5 team because you're playing down competition, right? Uh, you know, Florida's hurt a little bit because they did have to play Utah and Kentucky, but you still have that game against South Florida, which ideally means you should get a little bit of a bump because you're comparing what South Florida did against other teams in a G5 as to what South Florida did against Florida should be a different level of competition. You should be a little bit better than average and they're not. Uh, They're allowing about 15% worse than those other teams all collectively have done against other competition. 91% against the pass is perfectly average. I don't think Tennessee's defense is great, which the model's saying. 97% of opponent rushing averages is pretty bad, especially given the level of competition. 82% of opponent passing averages is actually solid enough. But again, I question it a little bit with the competition level. The problem is that Tennessee already starts at some major advantages, particularly throwing the football. Florida, 5.5 yards per attempt on the year against FBS competition is horrid. And so when Tennessee has literally double the per-play production throwing the football that Florida has, and you consider where Florida's at defensively, that just gives Tennessee a huge edge. Seven yards per play for Tennessee projected, almost 10 yards per attempt, is monstrous. That means you're moving the ball almost every time you want to. Florida at five and a half is is doing okay. They're going to move the ball. The model's saying that. They're going to score in the 20s. It's just... Man, the moment anybody crosses that 7-yard per play threshold, almost always the score starts to absolutely skyrocket. Because at that point, you don't really ever have to get to third down, right? Uh, So if you could get a first down in two plays, you don't normally need three. Uh, The game gets out of hand pretty quickly. And that's that's what the model is saying. And I'll go ahead and throw this out because I pulled it up to see if the model was totally crazy. Vegas has this an 11-point spread in Tennessee's favor. So this model seems way off. And I do think it's overinflated, but it's not completely out of the ballpark. I think, or out of reason given where Vegas has this game pick.
2: I think that the, um, the model, and I wonder, I wonder because Tennessee did have some overtime points, I think just seven, but, um, I think the model right now can't account for the badness of the bad. So like how bad Akron is, um, but it can maybe it it might be underselling south Florida a little bit because of how bad byu beat them and then byu got crushed so there is some downstream effect there but the one area that i think that is is maybe a little off is um is the rush defense i just i think that i think that south florida had an uncharacteristically good day if they play that game 10 times, they're not getting the 6.6 or whatever yards per carry they got against Florida, especially if Florida had a little bit of rejuvenation time and wasn't just beat up after Kentucky. Um, But I do think the points for Florida are pretty close. I'm going to go ahead and give my score prediction. I've got Florida 24, Tennessee 34, and I'm giving... I think these teams are about even, even though they're completely different types of teams in terms of their approach. I'm giving Tennessee six points for the home field advantage and I'm giving them four points for the depth that I think they're going to get into in the fourth quarter. I think Florida is a good football team that needs a quarterback. And I, I know that Florida fans don't want to hear this, but we, Keep it real, on this show, we've been consistent. And when he proves us wrong, we will eat our crow. But up until this point, he has not proven us wrong. Anthony Richardson is a great athlete who is a one-read quarterback who is not very accurate and can't expose a defense that can't play pass defense. So it makes him a one-dimensional player. And he's not running an offense. If you watch Florida play... They're scratching and clawing together about mid-20s types of points. That's what their offense is every game, whether they're playing a decent team or a bad team. It's not consistent moving the ball down the field. It's scratching and scraping to find some points on the board. You can't live like that. That's not executing an offense, and if you can't do that at home, I'm really concerned that... Some of the road problems are going to just amplify any of your issues. So that's what I've got 34 24 Tennessee. I don't have them quite covering the 11 that Vegas is given up to Florida. So um, tell me what you got.
1: Well, Daniel wouldn't let me tell him my score in advance. So I couldn't tell him that it was 34 uh, 24. So because of that, I think I'm just going to, just for the sake of being different, I'll say 37 <laughs> 24 and go the other side oh, of the spread. The cover. I I actually think the 11-point spread is a pretty accurate number, uh, to be honest. And I agree with you. I have taken (laughs) – I have been labeled a hater so many times in the past year and a half because of my comments on Anthony Richardson. I think his talent level is through the roof. I think he's going to be drafted fairly high. The guy I would compare him to is a very different type of player, but it's sort of a Logan Thomas situation where someone's going to draft him second round because of his potential – and he's not anywhere close to a second round quarterback today uh, in terms of his ability to produce. And it's the same sort of stuff we saw early mid-season last season, and everyone hated on Dan Mullen for it, but there are a lot of things about how you run the quarterback position that Richardson doesn't currently do well. His checks at the line, his ability to make reads, particularly hot reads, blitzes, teams that can play good, competent defense and actually bring pressure, force you to do something, you know, give you an open, like you said, maybe you're not sound on the back end. You let a guy go free. Richardson may not see it. And so that lets you bring a lot of exotic pressures. And when he does see it, he may miss the throw. And and when people do that, it really, really messes with an offense because you can take a lot of gambles against Richardson. And those gambles always have a reward, you know, the pressures or whatnot. You always get extra pressure. You always get extra help in the run game. But the risk is greatly lessened by his abil- inability to execute currently uh, developmentally. He's just not there. So it, I think it is a big advantage. And I do think – I think Florida's defense is still pretty suspect. I, I think they're doing a lot better, but they haven't gotten all the way there yet. I think Tennessee – I will say my personal bit of concern, I know that you know in that receiving core, everybody's focused on Cedric Tillman. I do think they miss Velas Jones and some other guys. I, I don't feel like they have the all-around explosiveness that they had last year. I think they still have some really good pieces, but there's a difference with having some really good pieces and having a bunch of really good pieces. And I don't know that they're quite there. But quite frankly, I have a lot of concerns about Florida's defense, and so I do think Tennessee is going to score a lot, like our model in Vegas seems to suggest that makes me heavily favor Tennessee in this game. And, and again, the depth issue, everything just sort of compounds on Florida. I think Tennessee is the smart pick here, certainly straight up and uh, against the spread. 11 points is a pretty neutral line.
2: And look, this is, this is a brutal open to an overall brutal schedule. And what did we say after Florida beat Utah? They're about the 15th best team in the country. They're going to be overrated a little bit after the win against Utah. And then, um, you know, they're going to lose some games just because of the collective, you know, toughness of their schedule. That's going to make them fall out of favor with voters when they're actually better than their record is going to, you know, signal. And after this game, they get a bit of a break: Eastern Washington, Missouri, and then LSU at home. That LSU game is going to be tough because LSU is better than they're getting credit for. But at least you got Eastern Washington, Missouri to kind of get things together, and then a bye week after LSU. So I'll be interested in this stretch. If they can go three and one in this stretch of four games, then they're heading into Georgia, what, five and five and two. So um, so that wouldn't be that wouldn't be too bad. I, I could see that as as I would consider that a good move, you know, a good season so far going into the Georgia game with a pretty brutal back half of their schedule. All right, y'all, let us know in the comments what you think this score is going to be. Obviously, our model is a little drunk right now, but that's how it is in the early part of the season. Thanks so much, y'all. Have a great week, and God bless. A football nerds here talking Arkansas and Texas A&M. Another big game for Texas A&M, and we did one last week, We're doing one this week. Josh is back with me. Had a solo show for our live show Saturday night, because Josh was on vacation, but he's back you want to check out the live show it is out there for your consumption both podcast and video josh has brought the model this week it's week four so it's the first week of model we don't have a lot of data so the model's a little drunk we're going to explain it and give you a little bit of you know maybe a little different look on the model it makes things a little more interesting but first before we get on the model josh let's talk these two teams a little bit um and we have been on this bandwagon all year. Took a little heat from Arkansas fans, but we don't love the defense. Offense, we think the offense is going to score on just about anybody. Um, defense, we've got some concerns. So, Josh, this should be easy. Who wins when you got a team that can't score at all? in Texas A&M and you got a team that can't stop anybody in Arkansas.
1: Yeah, yeah. you say it'd be easy, but I don't think it necessarily is cuz it's it's always sort of a game of trying to figure out where the matchups are that one team can exploit or not exploit. I mean, Arkansas and the Missouri State game, for the first half of the game, they just kind of kind of couldn't really do much of anything to stop Missouri State from having enough success to keep moving the ball, to keep scoring, to continue to stay in the game. And, you know, it, I think the thing that really broke that game open was Arkansas's depth, you know, obviously having the big uh, big punt return for the touchdown, goes ahead, leads, and that, that was a reflection of the fact that Arkansas is just a better roster than Missouri State. But you felt like if Missouri State was in a more even contest, they might have won that game, uh, just the way they were throwing the ball for three hundred over 350 yards passing. And now let's let's not throw out the fact that Arkansas sort of got in this weird place where they're moving the ball really well, but it was there's only so well you can move it, and it matter twelve over twelve yards per attempt, over seven and a half yards per carry um, from Raheem from Rocket Sanders. Right, those numbers are really really good, but you start playing the game of if you throw two incompletions in a row and ends up being a punt and the other team's moving the ball well enough that it only takes a handful of punts for them to stay in the game. Uh, and, and that's kind of the same situation you have here where Arkansas's offense is really good. I think they can move the ball on a lot of people, but Texas A&M's defense is really, really good. And on the other side, if Arkansas is giving a lot of easy plays, then Texas A&M can move the ball even though they're not great at a lot of
0: Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions, rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states your rate could increase with high-risk driving, generally safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate baron Casualty Insurance
1: Company and affiliates in Northbrook, Illinois. Things. But the problem with Texas AM and m is I think even if they were playing against error, it doesn't matter that you throw a touchdown pass every, you know, fifth play against error. It doesn't matter that your guy's wide open. When you got quarterbacks that miss open receivers on the regular or don't see the open receiver on the regular, then the bad defense stops mattering. And and teams like that, the Iowa situation right now with Petras, those teams can fail to score on absolutely anyone. So how do you evaluate it? I'm not really sure. I will say one thing, and that's something we talked about in our preview, where both of us picked Miami. We picked Miami assuming that Fisher wasn't going to have the foresight to pull King. And I will say Max Johnson didn't look great against Miami. I do think Max Johnson is better than Haynes King, or at least his ability to play Sandlot ball and throw the ball downfield and do some stuff sometimes, even though he's also erratic as a passer. I do think he's a little more, I don't know, productive, a little more creative where Haynes King just felt like a robot that was going to stand back there and throw the ball ten yards over somebody's head every play, at least with Max Johnson, I feel like a has some sort of shot. Is it, do you think think crazy crazy. that you think a crazy? I way? think
2: that, and I noted somebody asked in the, in the live show what I thought about what I thought about it, and I, I just I felt like Max Johnson saw the field more, saw the plays open up a little more, had a little more command of what was going on now that didn't translate to more points although they were playing you know a better team a better defense app state if you know people need to remember they gave up 63 points in regulation in north carolina so scoring 17 on them was bad um, i thought for whatever reason the offensive line had much better run fits and opened up some holes for a chain that you didn't see a lot of um, earlier in the previous two games but I think some of it is hidden, Josh, in that 17 points against Miami. Seven of those came from a muff punt. They had one touchdown drive in the whole game. Miami had nine points. They missed two or three field goals. I think they missed two field goals, and then they had some drops on that last drive, but they were in field goal range. So that's nine points that they left on the board. Um, Miami had five yards per play, had about 18 points worth of worth of production if you count those what would have been field goals right around four yards per play for um for app state and they had 17 points so it seems like you know and this is maybe where we get in the model but it seems like a&m might yield a lot more points or potentially a little at least a little more points if somebody can get in that five and a half to six yards per play range. My concern is A&M right now, it feels like about 17 points is their ceiling, even against bad defenses. Cause I'm not sure Miami is a great defense. Um, and I'm pretty confident app state is a bad defense. They also gave up almost 30, I think to Troy. So Josh, maybe segue into the model, but I think you got two models for us.
1: Yeah. So the first model, <laughs> as you said earlier, is kind of drunk. The first model here has Arkansas winning the game 56-14. to Right off the bat, don't think that's realistic. Uh, But I'll sort of suss out why it came to that number and what it theoretically means. And the first thing to bear in mind is that it doesn't have the ability to take in the Missouri State data because our model does not factor in FCS data. There's no way for me to meaningfully compare how an FCS team did against you versus how they did against other FCS teams. And because it's all comparative the model just doesn't take in the data. I actually ignore it completely. Uh, and so first, that data point's gone. The other problem is that Arkansas in their other couple games has been pretty effective. Um, but I think if you kind of look past a lot of that, you see a lot of similarities. Yards per play, a and actually 4.8 yards per play. Arkansas's at 4.6. Rushing, uh, rush defense, Arkansas 84%, percent a 89%. Those are pretty mediocre numbers. We always say 90% is very average because you do play down to your comp- down levels of competition a lot, right? You're playing teams like um, you know, Appalachian State, those teams should inflate your numbers a little bit. Pass defense is the biggest difference. At Texas A&M at 68% of opponent passing averages, that's an elite number. Anytime you're below 70%, it's elite. Arkansas is 108% of opponent passing averages that's again ignoring the Missouri state game that's a rather bad number so what you end up with is an arkansas defense that i would say overall is kind of poor which is which was our expectation they were really a bottom half defense in the sec last year and i mean that statistically they were uh and texas a&m was an upper half now a&m lost a lot and i think you can see that in the rush numbers But what I think this sort of reflects is the fact that Texas A&M has a lot of really high-talent, disruptive young players in the defense, and that tends to create good pass defense because they can get in the backfield, but they tend to struggle in run fits. They maybe aren't as old, they're not as strong, they're not as physical, and so it hurts you a little bit in the run game. It's very typical for high, really, really talented defensive linemen to be a serious liability in the run game, but they put them in in passing situations, and I think that kind of shows here. But I will say that the 56 to 14 number, if I throw in the Missouri State game, I kind of played around with this or tried to, and then I substituted Rice for Missouri State. So I pulled in all Rice's stats, and I threw in the results of the Missouri State game. I tried to inject it. That brought the production down to 39-14. So you're already starting to see that number drop, and you see how quickly it can drop. But I will say I think the scoring model here is just bonkers for some reason because um, it does actually have A&M out-gaining Arkansas per play. And it, again, the problem is it's two games each. And so we're week four, but there's only two useful games of data for both teams. Uh, give it this game, and I guarantee you the model will greatly even out by the next one. And two weeks from now for these two teams, it'll kind of hit its rhythm. But it usually takes about four games of meaningful data for the model to make sense but i think the maybe rather than looking at the score 56 to 14 maybe pay more attention to the yards per play which is 4.9 to 4.6 in texas a&m's favor
2: and based on a&m's defense so far this year that 5 yards per play puts and that's assuming they don't they don't score any touchdowns like um like Miami, then that puts them right around eighteen points. I think they're going to get the end zone some, and I guess this segues me into my score prediction. Um, I think Arkansas has got some real problems with their pass defense. Um, run defense is, at least based on who they've played, you know what they played so far has been pretty good. I don't think they've played a team that can really run it though. I mean, Cincinnati had three point something, three point eight yards per, per attempt versus Miami of Ohio. Per carry, um, Missouri State didn't run against Arkansas, so it at least on paper it looks like you got you got real concerns if you're playing a good passing offense and you're the Arkansas Razorbacks. But they're not this Saturday. They're not playing somebody who can pl- take advantage of the huge glaring concern we have. So um, I-, I think that a is going to get about their 17 points against this defense. I'll give them three more just because I don't love Arkansas's defense, but I'm not sure they can get much more than that. And I think Arkansas, who might stay around that five play, yards per play, that's Miami. That's Miami last week. But if they get in the end zone just one time and they can kick their field goals, then they're in the 27-point range. With this bad offense, Arkansas is going to get more opportunities. They're going to get more possessions, and I think they're going to get more points. They're going to get some short fields. Give me Arkansas 24, AM 20. Tell me what
1: you got. So I'm actually going to pick AM. I'm going to pick AM 27, I'll say 27 21. Uh, I think it's interesting that Texas AM's favored in this game, despite all the hype on Arkansas as a top 10 team. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons to think that's the case. I mean, Van Dyke is a very good quarterback and he was held to 5.3 yards per attempt. Now I do think Miami without Restrepo has a bad receiving core, but Texas A&M's defense is really, really good against the pass and Arkansas for all the hype from their balance and the sort of their feeding the hogs reputation is a more explosive offense than I think it is consistent. On the ground, they make some really good run plays, but they're big, explosive run plays. And I think they'll get those. I think they'll score 20 points. But I think the passing game with K.J. Jefferson could really, really have issues. And I will say K.J. Jefferson historically has struggled with really athletic defenses. On the other side of the ball, I think Arkansas has some limitations athletically on defense with Catalan out. Like Bumperpool's been a guy that's been around forever. Good player, heady player, not the most athletic. And one of the things that Texas A&M can bring to bear is taking guys like A-Chain, and they will use him heavily in the passing game. And I, I think that, guys like Anaya Smith, there are things that Texas A&M can do to exploit what I think is a lack of top-end SEC athleticism defensively. And probably somewhere some Arkansas fan is going to get offended, but I do think that's the reality. So... Yeah, I think AM has a very good chance of winning this football game. And I will go back and talk about something I tweeted on Saturday morning. Again, just to make sure there's no Arkansas fan left on the face of the earth that actually likes me. There are a few teams that I felt like were in a bubble on Saturday morning. Those were Cincinnati, Arkansas, South Carolina. Because those teams kind of all had played each other. And there were some competitive games there. Arkansas and South Carolina played a competitive game. Cincinnati played a competitive game with Arkansas. And everybody felt like, oh, they're pretty good because they had this expectation for Cincinnati and Arkansas. And I was like, you know, I, I just, when I watched those teams, I got the feeling that they weren't that great. And what, what did we see? We saw Cincinnati play Miami of Ohio, and I think that game was like 17 all at the half. South Carolina got the doors blown off them by Georgia, and Arkansas was struggling with Missouri State. I will be honest As I always am or try to be, I don't think Arkansas is a top 15 team. I think they have gotten a little lucky with who they played, with the fact that people just assumed Cincinnati would be a good again, and I don't think Cincinnati is actually that good, and they are pretty overinflated. I think they're a good team, but I don't think they're actually a top 15 team this year. I think they took a step or two back, and I think this may be the first game where it shows, or at least that's that's where my prediction is currently headed. So, you know, hate me in the comments, but that's just that's just honestly how I feel about it.
2: Yeah, y'all in the comments address your comments to Josh, not me, because I get enough AM and M hate. <laughs> I can't afford Arkansas hate too. That's not why I picked y'all, by the way. It's not why I picked Arkansas. I think they win this game. Um, and, and I'm Josh. I'm gonna make you show your work here because I I feel like sometimes you're a bit of a Vegas snob and you like to go with the favorites a lot because you're so used to this sport being chalk heavy and um I just want you to talk through a little bit before we wrap this up how we've seen a disaster offense from a m in three games so far this year I mean they got they got 10 points worth of production versus Miami um so they they get gifted a a, fun, a, a fumbled punt um, how do you go from, which we don't know how good Miami's defense is. I'm sure it's better than App State's. But how do you go from 17 points against a disaster defense, consistently bad against Sam Houston State, they put a couple of touchdowns on their late to make the score look a little better, and then 10 points of production versus Miami, 17 points on the board. How do you go from there to feeling good enough about, you know, Even if Arkansas's defense is bad, I mean, it can't be worse than App State's. How do you feel good about them getting 27 points in this one? That seems like a pretty big job.
1: The answer is actually pretty simple. I actually think Miami's defense is really good. Uh, Going into that game, I picked Miami, and the main reason I picked Miami is I do think Miami, I think Miami has a real shot to maybe even be a top 20 defense this year. I I think their Miami's defense is very good. I think their front is very good. Um, And when I went back and –
2: I thought you were going to say Max Johnson, but I'll take I'll take Miami's defense. Yeah,
1: when I went back and watched the tape, there's a reason I picked Miami, and I thought their defense was really, really good. And with knowing Haynes King was in the – at that time when we did the prediction was supposed to be starting, I just didn't think Texas A&M was going to be able to score. Um, now, there were a lot of guys out on both sides of the ball, and it really messes with my ability to evaluate that game properly. But that's the short version of it, is I think I think people just don't understand how good Miami is. And so that, to me, sort of explains how you can arrive at the conclusions I reached. And, again, I you know, one, I'm chalk-heavy because in this sport, the favorites do usually win. They don't always win, but they do usually win. And if you want to pick straight up and you want to have the best record, pick the favorite. <laughs> pick the favorite every time. Except for, you know, I see people that pick... Um, you know, pick games straight up and they'll have a list, right? And they'll pick like four upsets in a given week. If a team's favored by less than a touchdown, sure, you can pick an upset and, and you have some decent chance of success. But just blindly picking, if you pick favorites in a college football pool, and I I, I played with this game one time in a big pool I, I did years ago with some other people, the, the team, the, like, you know, Clucko the Chicken picked the favorite every game, and the point I made is he finished second because people way overestimate the number of upsets that actually happen. Um, and you think you can guess them. The trick is there will be an upset, but it won't ever be the one you think it is, right? Uh, it is going to be random. So if you pick one out of ten, you're going to be wrong most of the time. Uh, and and that's, I think, the case this this week. It won't shock me in the least if Arkansas wins. It's only a two-and-a-half-point spread for a reason. Uh and limits offensively means this at best is going to be a low scoring game, which again means a fumbled punt or something like that. Could easily win the game. Jefferson has the ability to be explosive. That's very important. But I don't think Arkansas has the same explosiveness offensively that they had last year. I don't think they have the receivers they had. I think AM's defense is really good. And I think AM quietly has some offensive pieces that are explosive themselves. And they're going to have a much easier time getting those matchups in this game. So that's that's how I get my conclusion
2: all right y'all that's it for us on arkansas and texas a&m let us know in the comments what you think this score is going to be don't forget we do a podcast if you want to listen to us instead of watch us live shows out there too thanks so much y'all have a great week god bless college football nerds here talking wisconsin and ohio state and we have a model for y'all models have been a little wild this week i got josh with me he's gonna introduce the model to you it's week four We wait three weeks, we gather data, we don't release a model based on recruiting rankings or what we think a preseason poll looks like, we wait and get some data, and then our first couple of weeks, it's still a little weird, but it's a good talking point, so y'all hang with us. Um, Ohio State, Josh, absolutely dragged Toledo, but all the naysayers, they're saying two things right now that are bothering us a little bit, they're saying... Notre Dame game, Notre Dame win is a bad win because Notre Dame sucks now. And you gave up 21 points to the Rockets. Well, Josh, I think that we got some credibility to say a little bit about this because we were one of the people that told Ohio State fans before Notre Dame lost to Marshall and almost lost to Cal. Notre Dame is not great this year. They're not the fifth best team in the country, but we don't go back. And really pick apart that win because you won the game, right? There's plenty of opportunities to show dominance. But we're not going to go back and now ding you and drop you down to 6th or 7th because you struggled with a team that's not very good. And there's probably some some like misunderstanding about this 21 points from the Rockets. Josh, they killed them. Let's get into this a little bit and let's dispel some of the, the haterade that's being drank out there. So
1: the first point is, yes, we we kind of said from the beginning of the year that we didn't think Notre Dame was was great. And we said in our Michigan preview, we felt like Michigan was the team that should have been ranked four or number five. And I said at the time, looking at the roster, I thought Notre Dame was probably a top 15 team. It turns out that probably was too generous, but I didn't know how bad the quarterback situation was going to be. But we knew the roster wasn't great. There were a lot of reasons to think that. I don't know why the media jumped on them being as high as they are. Okay, well, everybody's now screaming. They know why the media jumped on them. They always do. But there really was no reason for them to be ranked that high. That said, it was week one. Ohio State got Notre Dame's best shot. Ohio State won that game by double digits. Ohio State lost Smith and Jigba early in the game. There are a lot of reasons why Ohio State would be off-kilter, and they were out of rhythm, and they didn't look right. That does not mean that Ohio State isn't capable of dominating someone later. I think there's always a big difference in understanding how you want to evaluate a resume and whether or not you win or lose games and how you want to evaluate projections downstream. And the most hate we usually get from people is the latter part, right? Maybe you beat a team in a big upset. And what will happen is somebody will have a big upset in a game And, you know, Florida beating Utah is maybe an example. And everybody will say, oh, well, we beat Utah. How dare you say we might lose to Kentucky? Yeah, I'm going to give you credit for beating Utah. You beat them. You won the game. That's all that matters. Oklahoma in 2020 beat Florida. But if you want me to evaluate how Oklahoma in 2020 would have done against other teams, I have to look at the situation and say, yeah, but Florida was playing literal third stringers across the whole defensive front due to opt-outs. And these guys, Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts, that are pretty good, did not play in that game, along with literally the entire starting receiving core. So those things matter from a projection standpoint. Ohio State in the Notre Dame game got the W. That's all that matters. End of discussion for resume like resume building purposes. And it was a little bit of a struggle, but they got the W. It was a double digit win. From a projection standpoint, it wasn't great on its own, but given the oddities of that game and that it was week one and where they're at now, I really can push that aside because the offense I saw, to tr- turn this back around and talk about this game, the offense I saw against Toledo, the offense that scored 11 touchdowns in a football game, was at a different level. C.J. Stroud, what my criticism was, was out of rhythm. And it's something that I've seen from him a couple times. When he gets... A lot of pressure in particular. he gets his foot, His footwork gets off. His timing gets off. The offense starts to sputter. And this offense that Ohio State's built is a little bit prone to stuttering when things aren't working well. It's not unique to Ohio State. Alabama right now is way stuck in the mud in that sputtering mess. Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, has the same sort of struggles that Stroud has. Maybe, I think, a lot worse than Stroud in that regard. So it's not unique. Uh, And Ohio State has pulled themselves out of it by leaning more on guys that have a lot of experience. The same way I think Alabama, probably in about four weeks, is going to look like a very different offense than they do right now. But for this game, I feel like that Toledo game, 13.6 yards per attempt from C.J. Stroud, um, over six yards per carry rushing. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State has got things together. They've got things clicking, and that Notre Dame game can be put behind them.
2: On the other side, Josh, we've got a <clears throat> Wisconsin team that every year, when you look in at the beginning of the season, you look and see if if Big Tenes teams drew Wisconsin and um, assume that that's going to be a pretty rough stretch wherever they sit on the schedule. And you know, Wisconsin may not be that good this year, and that's that's a rarity for us because we're usually pretty high on Wisconsin, but. Um, you know, I like Allen, I like Malusi, they're, they're good running backs, but I don't know that you beat an Ohio State with good running backs. And so that's my concern in this game. And I think that's where the, why the spread is where it is. You know, I, I don't think that Ohio State fans are going to be shocked when they hear us pick Ohio Wisconsin fans are going to be shocked when they hear us pick Ohio State to win. But my concern in this game, which may not be an issue for Wisconsin in other games, is twofold. One you know, we don't know what we don't know about Washington State. Um, they might be good. They might not be. They might be bad. Uh, I think they're probably mediocre. I don't think they're bad. I think they're better, better than they've been. My big concern is Mertz, Josh. My big concern is not having a set of wide receivers and a quarterback that can beat Ohio State because that's the only way you're beating them this year. You're beating them with a really like an elite offensive scheme that's super efficient, like Georgia. They might can do it and maybe Alabama, if their wide receiver situation gets figured out, which it's not right now. Um, so does it really boil down to that, or is this a situation where maybe a hard-nosed defense and, and physicality could could beat an Ohio State?
1: Well, Notre Dame had some success, I think, with that approach in the opener, but that depends upon Ohio State being out of rhythm. And... Sitting here today, I don't think they are, and I don't think they're likely to be. Now, something I think that's important to bear in mind, right, recent games in this series, Wisconsin has struggled with Ohio State a number of times. Really good Wisconsin teams have been blown out by Ohio State. And the reason for that is that when you play a team like Ohio State, they stress you in different ways than other teams can. Their athleticism on the perimeter – exposes things. And we talked a lot about the AM and Arkansas game, and we have differing opinions on that one. And that's, I think, an interesting video. It should be an interesting game to watch on Saturday. But my point on that one is that I feel like Arkansas's defense, one, it's, look, I'm not comparing it to Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's defense is a lot better than Arkansas's. But where Arkansas gets credit is they can be pretty hard-nosed and physical, they have physical linebackers. But they're great playing downhill. They are not great playing in space. And AM had some ability to manipulate that. Wisconsin has some of those same tendencies or has had them. I don't think the athleticism defensively is that high. I think they play really well within their system. I think they develop their players really well. I think they have some guys that are really heady players that fly to the ball well. They're really physical. They're built to stop the run. That's kind of how they've recruited and built their identity. Ohio State can win a game scoring 40 to 60 points at three yards a carry. That's a problem for Wisconsin. And and I think that's really where the Mertz conversation becomes important because this is the one team really in the Big Ten where you can play really good defense and still give up 30, 40, 50 points. And if that's the case, you've got to have a quarterback. And Mertz is not that guy. I know he had a couple good games against lesser competition, but I don't see the potential for him to go off. And if you look at what even like Toledo did. And I will say Toledo moved the ball pretty consistently, but they did it because Daquan Finn, and you were talking about this before, I don't want to steal your thunder, is a good quarterback. Daquan Finn is a good quarterback. Toledo, uh, they beat UMass. They put up 55 points on them. That is a good team with a good quarterback that is really dynamic, and that's what I think it takes to move the ball in Ohio State. They still only score 21 points. So the problem for Wisconsin here is, yeah, I mean if you think you can get in a Notre Dame game where this game's going to be like 25-17, sure, maybe you got a shot to win. I I just think Ohio State's got their act together offensively now and you're not going to get that game. And I I don't know how Wisconsin can play a game where they got to score 35 and they got to throw the ball to do it. I I just I don't see it with this roster.
2: Well, since you stole my thunder, why don't you let the model Take any thunder that I got left.
1: Sure. So the model being the first week, I'll give the short explainer. Our model is a per play based model that's based off your team, what your team has done this season. And what it basically does is it creates a profile for your team. It looks at the matchups between your team's profile and that other team's profile. And it does it in a way where A may be a good fit for B, B may beat C, C may beat A. It's a matchup based thing. And then based off that, it gets a prediction of how it thinks the game's going to go. And for scoring, the way our model works is is essentially it's a sort of a self-learning concept. Your team's production compared to scoring and how it worked out for your team creates its own model. Basically, every team has their own unique scoring model, uh, and it varies a little bit. Some teams need more yardage or less yardage. Some teams get a lot of hidden yardage or hidden points from special teams, whatever. Uh, It's a little, we keep it a little nebulous, but that's effectively how it works. And with this, one of the main things we generate is an intermediate statistic, which I still really wish people put this out there because it's a pretty simple statistic. I think it's easy to understand. Percentage of opponent average is allowed. So if my opponent is averaging five yards per carry and I allow four, I've allowed 80% of their average. So it's just a basic stat to say, compared to how everybody else did against them, how did you do? Uh, Ohio State's numbers defensively, I think, show sort of two sides. Rush defense is 74%. That's very good. Now, an elite defense on against the run can get it down to about 60%. We see that quite a bit from elite defenses, but 74% is still very good. That's what I would call it. Borderline elite. 101% of opponent passing averages, though, is mediocre. It's very average. And that's what I was getting at earlier with the Mertz conversation. Ohio State has vulnerability right now in past events, at least in the statistically, and how they show up. They do. Wisconsin's defense is good, but it is not as good as it has been. Seventy-nine percent of opponent at rushing averages is merely what I would call good. Eighty-seven percent of opponent passing averages is actually about average, especially when you take into account right that Wisconsin's played Washington State. Um, when you put a New Mexico on there. That's what you end up having, and I, I think right now my uh, camera cuts out, so hopefully Daniel can just throw up a, a picture of the model. Uh, but that's how, I mean, that's how those two things pan out. So the final score you have projection is thirty two twenty Ohio State over Wisconsin. Ohio State outgaining Wisconsin by about a half yard per play. In Wisconsin six point five yards per play is actually pretty good. That means they're projected to move the ball well. But as we said in a different video, anytime you get over seven yards per play. Offense takes off from a scoring proje- uh, scoring perspective, and that's where Ohio State's projected to be.
2: Yeah, and my issue is even if if Ohio State's given up 101 percent of opponent averages, I think Wisconsin's averages are telling a little bit of a lie. I think they had 16 something against um, against New Mexico State, but they got barely better against Washington State than than Washington State has allowed against Colorado State and Idaho. So they they threw it slightly better than idaho or colorado state and those are two just god-awful teams so i I think that you know if if we did if we ran these numbers more at the end of the year the the yards per attempt numbers are going to be in the mid sevens in the model predictor not 11 and so it's probably giving them maybe more points but the issue for me is even if we give them those points. I think that they're going to give up more points, um, especially if they can't find their ground consistently in offense. They're going to give Ohio State some short fields, and that's just not what you want to do. Um, so I've got a score for this one, and I'm going to go 44-20. to 20. Uh, Ohio State winning this one 44-20. to 20. Josh, maybe you've got your camera issues sorted. Maybe you haven't, but tell me what you got.
1: Sorry, learning the limits of my new camera, and it uh, just – overheated and turned off on me yeah my score prediction for this one I'm gonna say 41-17 Ohio State Uh, I do think this game could get pretty lopsided pretty quickly Uh, and I think Ohio State's got things clicking but frankly I just don't think this is the best Wisconsin team this year again just trying to be honest which I always am maybe I'm wrong maybe Wisconsin proves me wrong maybe they play great it's hard to evaluate but I don't think Washington State's a great team and I thought that they you know it, it didn't seem like a fluke that that was a very close game. So, um, yeah, I, I think Ohio State's going to win this one pretty handily. And I think this is I, – I think it says a lot about where Ohio State is, but I, frankly I think it says at least as much about Wisconsin. Um, and, yeah, it's going to take a team with a better offense to stay with Ohio State this year for sure.
2: I know that Ohio State's working JSN back, working Fleming back maybe, um, but – we warned people about Marvin Harrison Jr. And he had 102 yards at the half uh, and a couple of touchdowns. I believe it was at the half. Um, so it's funny because we saw, like a lot of people said, yeah, that Ohio State wide receiver room, everybody talked about it. And then, you know, a couple guys get hurt against Notre Dame and then haha, they can't throw the ball. I think that, this Saturday proved that that they're on another level. And look, people are going to be like, look, it's Toledo. You scored 77 points against Toledo, but Alabama scored 63, and it was not from a consistently moving offense. We see a lot of these teams rack up points against lesser competition because they do things like Alabama did. A lot of non-offensive touchdowns. They had, I think, a punt return, a kick block, and a pick six out of that 63 points. So... Um, I think that there's credit to be given. And this is why we like to see teams dominate lesser opponents is you can glean some stuff from these games. You can look at them and see how their offense is operating or not operating. Cause we took our takeaway from the Bama La Monroe game Saturday was that that offense still needs some consistency with the wide receiver and the quarterback. Um, and we took that away in a 63 to seven win. So uh, you can take stuff away from these, and that's why we tell people go watch the games. People make fun of us for just watching, looking at box scores. We don't. We watch the games against, even against the Toledo Rockets. So y'all, let us know what the score is going to be in the comments, like you always do. Please make sure if you haven't already, like subscribe. Um, Wisconsin fans, we love you too. Please share us wherever you want to share us um maybe not this one since we picked you to lose but mix it up with us in the comments too we love you as well thanks so much y'all have a great week god bless